Hi, I'm Brad Blaylock. And I'm Brad McKeon, and welcome to The Brad Report. Warning, the Brad Report contains spoilers. This episode of the Brad Report is brought to you by Showers. Is it raining inside? The Brad Report can be found on Apple, Breaker, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, Anchor, and Spotify. Please rate and review us five stars only and make sure you subscribe so you can get all of the upcoming Brad Report episodes and all of our reviews and reports and all of the things that we have coming up. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at the Brad Report. And last week, we began phase two of the Marvel Cinematic Universe with Iron Man 3. We had a last minute change with my co-host Brad uh, going to the hospital for the delivery of his baby. And I'm happy to report that everyone is healthy and doing well and healthy mama, healthy baby. Everyone's doing great. Uh, We were supposed to record on that day and uh, they were headed to the hospital and the baby was born the next day. So uh, once again, um, Brad is uh, currently on paternity leave. So we were taking a break from our Marvel Cinematic Universe run to have another solo Brad report episode because I know Brad's super excited uh, to talk about Thor, The Dark World. I think it's one of his favorite uh, Marvel movies. So I, we're really excited to have him back in and we can record that together. Uh, So this week, I'll be doing a solo episode. Uh, I'll be doing a solo belly flop into the cult classic Princess Bride. So general summary is, while home, sick in bed, a young boy's grandfather reads him The Princess Bride by S. Morgenstern. It is a story of a farm boy turned pirate who encounters numerous obstacles, enemies, and allies in his quest to be reunited with his true love. That's the summary of the book. And this movie is, as I said, is a cult classic. When originally released in 1987, it did not make a lot of money. It didn't, nobody really went to see it. And Gary Elwes, I hope I'm saying that right, attributes that the marketing team uh, not knowing how to promote the film. He said, you know, a bunch of guys weren't going to go or be attracted to a princess movie. And said, what is, what is this princess movie? Because... It is titled The Princess Bride, but it's about so much more than that. It's not really a, it's not a Disney princess movie. You know, Wesley is kind of the one that takes center stage and it's, it's his story and, and him and Buttercup together. And it's this amazing action comedy. And in years since they, it's of course blown up into this huge thing and people, love this movie and quote this movie and it's gained a huge cult following and it's kind of now achieved after all of those years uh, the success that they they hoped it uh, would have received originally so getting into themes of course the first theme is is true love you know we uh, see this play out throughout the story as um Wesley loves Buttercup. They say it's true love. And throughout the story, as he is 
presumed dead. And then Buttercup is betrothed to Prince Humperdinck and she's kidnapped. And then the Dread Pirate Roberts, who we find out to be is Wesley. He is pursuing to save her because he still does love her. And he's able to do all of these things. He's able to uh, defeat Inigo. He's able to defeat Fezzik and Vicini and uh, come back after having taken 50 years of his life off. Why is he able to do that? He's able to do that because of his true love for, for Buttercup and how that true love uh, persists. And you see also love in several different ways throughout the movie. You see Inigo's love for his father in seeking revenge. You see the grandfather's love for his grandson in sitting with him all day, reading this book to him. And you see, obviously, uh, Buttercup's love for Wesley. You see uh, uh, Fezzik and Inigo's love for each other. But the real focus of it is Wesley and Buttercup's true love for each other. And it's really, it's a very, it's compelling to think that, oh, if I love this person, I'll be able to accomplish all kinds of amazing things, or I'll be able to persevere. I'll be able to push through. And this is a, you know, this is a, a love story of a high adventure kind of fantasy. And, you know, it picks up on that theme. Of course, in reality, it's just like, you know, just because you want something or love something doesn't make it, it true or come to pass. But this is kind of the iteration of like, this is what we wish were true. You know, this is a, an ideal of, oh man, if you have, if you have true, pure love, it will do these amazing things and you'll be able to accomplish these amazing things. So that's one of the, the first theme and in this film, the second theme is really is revenge. You know, we see all of the revenge that is really driving Inigo's story and how he is seeking revenge against uh, Count Rugen. You know, he's, he's determined. He's, he's been searching for him for 20 years. And the first thing that he even asks, he asks uh, the man in black, that who also the Dread Pirate Roberts, is, you know, uh, excuse me, do you happen to have six fingers on your right hand? And he looks at him and says, uh, do you always begin conversations this way? <laughs> and he he's driven he says and then he goes into the whole story and he's really driven throughout the film for revenge to to find new allies to pursue that and to continue to to do it until until he has it but at the end of the movie which is really sad though is, is that he's been working 20 years to accomplish this goal and then at the end he says like i don't know what to do with my life anymore you know he's he's a little lost he's a little bit adrift and then that's when wesley says have you considered being a pirate <laughs> um another really cool theme is is the theme of death and how we see that as wesley and buttercup uh, specifically and this theme and the story of their their uh of their true love is that you know after she hears that he's died, she's alone in, in the, I guess her house. And she's saying like, I will never love again. And then it's understandable that she, she would fall into depression. She would fall into this, 
path of just, you know, despondency and apathy. And even later on, um, she, when Wesley is confronting her as the dread pirate Robertson is like, yeah, I'm the man that killed him. And, uh, she said, you mock my pain. I died that day. And then later on, as they fall down the hill in a very ridiculous fashion, uh, she says like, how, it's like, why didn't you wait for me? She's like, but you are dead. And he says, death cannot stop true love. It can only delay it a while. And then later on in a very humorous way is that, you know, at Miracle Max's is like, oh, he's dead. And then Miracle Max says, no, no, he's, he's only mostly dead. There's a, there's a difference between mostly dead and all dead and how the life and death of, of the characters. And then even death cannot stop it. You know, he's, he's staying a, a, he's staying alive because of true love and his love for buttercup. Um, also there's a lot of good humor and it's very, uh, it's, this movie is so funny. It's so, so funny. It's on Disney plus currently. Uh, I don't think I didn't say that earlier, but it is on Disney plus if you want to go and, uh, take a look at that. So, um, Man, hope I hope that uh, this, listening to this uh, this pod episode will make you want to go back and watch it because, and watching and preparing for this, it's uh, it just reminded me of how good this movie is. But getting into storytelling, so this is a story within a story. The movie actually opens with uh, the grandson playing a video game, and he's home he's sick his mom's coming and checking on him so you know your grandfather's here and the story of the princess bride is as a whole is the story of a grandfather reading this this adventure book this love story the princess bride to his grandson that is the story and it's, it's the story within the story and so you get the voiceover of the and the cut-ins of the grandfather and the grandson interacting and kind of pestering each other at certain points and uh, encouraging. And then it ends with them as well. And, you know, I, every time I watch this, I almost always forget, oh yeah, this, this movie starts with, with the boy and his grandfather, because that's when you think of this movie, that's not usually what you think about. That's not, those aren't the the scenes and the funny lines and the 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 great set pieces and all of those things that you associate with this movie. So, but digressing, the screenplay, a story within a story. The screenplay was written by William Goldman, and he also wrote the book of the same title, The Princess Bride. And so the premise of the book is that his father used to read him this book as a boy. And this book was The Princess Bride by S. Morgenstern, and it was very kind of heady uh, book, but the basis of the same story was there. And as an editor kind of doing a revised edition of S. Morgenstern's classic, uh, he is writing in and putting in comments and talking about how his when his father would read him this chapter, he just would say, yeah, one thing led to another, you know, a couple of years passed, you know, five years later. And that's just how the, the theme of the story is, you know, even in the book, it's a story within a story. It's just him reflecting on reading this as he was 
essentially growing up as a boy, but it's all fictional. He's, he's writing this book. He's making it all up. And so S Morgenstern is a fictional author and it's really, really clever how, how he does that. And even how they keep that element the same with the grandfather and the grandson reading the book by S Morgenstern. So another storytelling idea is that this is very satirical. You know, he's, he's, highlighting these adventure classics of the Errol Flynn era, you know, Robin Hood and, you know, the Knights of the Round Table and Camelot and all of these things. But he's he's doing a good story, but also in a satirical and super, super humorous way. Uh, he's making fun of the swords and sorcery genre, fairy tales and high adventure. But this movie is so funny. There is hardly a scene where there's not a bit of comedy that's in there, but that also like really, really lands. And as we go into uh, the scenes and quotes and all working through those, you know, I almost feel that I'll be <laughs> reading off the entire script and dis uh, um, discussing the entire movie because of Oh man, it's like, I can't not talk about this one. I can't not, I can't leave this out. And it's, it's so good. And it's so funny. So satirical. Also the set pieces. So the plot moves pretty quickly in these five to 10 minute set pieces. You cover a lot of ground and there, a lot of the scenes and the characters, there's this constant sense of emotion. And so you begin with Buttercup and Wesley, and then all of a sudden, um, you know, Wesley is, going off and in like five minutes of telling the story. And then after that, you get a few minutes of uh, Buttercup is uh, betrothed to Prince Humperdinck and then she's kidnapped. And then they're on the boat with uh, Fezzik, Ficini and Inigo. And then they're with the eels. And then they're at the cliffs of insanity to the greatest swords fight with Inigo. Then he fights Fezzik. Then he has the battle of wits. Then they're running and there's the confrontation between uh, Buttercup and the man in black, the dread pirate Roberts, who is Wesley. Oh no! And so he rolls down the hill. Then they go into the fire swamp. They're in the fire swamp. They come out of the fire swamp. Wesley's kidnapped. He's in the pit of despair. And Buttercup is trying to uh, say, like, I want to marry Wesley. And then you've got a focus on Inigo and Fezzik trying to find the man in black. You have them rescuing him, saving him, going to Miracle Max is that scene, like preparing to storm the castle, actually storming the castle, the marriage scene, all of this. And it just moves so quick. And then the final fight and, and the final threats of drop your sword and the escape and the final kiss. And then you're through the movie and it just moves so quickly and so seamlessly, but also intersecting with the grandfather and the grandson making comments about the story as they go. So it's really, really cool and really well done of how there's just this constant, you know, five minutes here, five minutes here, two minutes here, you know, eight minutes here, and how they're constantly moving through the plot. And that's really, really cool. And it's really well done of how they take all these characters and weave them together to not make it kind of just, oh, now we got to go here. Now we got to go here. Now we got to go here. But the characters are in constant motion with trying to achieve their individual objectives.
All right, let's get into some characters. We've got a hot list of characters uh, coming up for you. So first, as I said before, we begin this movie with the grandson and the grandfather. And what I really like about this movie, as I was kind of thinking about the themes and how this, how he changes over the course of the movie and how the grandfather is because he gives, he opens it, this present that he got from his grandfather and he's a book, a book. And it's and his grandfather's that's right. You know, back when, uh, for any Columbo fans, it's like, Back when I was your age, television was called books. <laughs> and he's wanting to share this story with him. And he kind of tells him the sweet stories. You know, when I was your age, my father would read this to me when I was sick. And uh, I would read it to your father. And today I'm going to read it to you. And just kind of this tradition of reading this story uh, that they could, they read in a day and how, uh, how special that is, but also how the story uh, changes the boy and how the story at the end of the movie, the boy is no longer just, you know, well, let's, let's skip all this stuff. This stuff is gross. I don't want to hear about this stuff. I just want this, the, uh, the eels and, you know, all this, I want the cool stuff. I don't want any of this soppy stuff. And then towards at the end of the movie, you know, he's changed. He's changed by the story that his grandfather read to him and also probably changed by the presence of his grandfather and being present and spending the time with him to read him the story, to take him on this journey of experiencing this story for the first time. And, you know, the grandfather's experienced it probably hundreds of times, you know, but taking him on the story to adventure to experience this story for the first time is really, really cool. And it's really, really sweet. And as I said before, I usually forget that this is how the movie starts with these two characters that he's just like, I'm going to read you a story. And then we go back to, to see what the story is in this, this period piece of, you know, medieval times of, you know, sword fights and magic miracles, all of this stuff. So it's really, really cool. And it's really fun. Next, we have Wesley, the man in black, the dread pirate Roberts, who is the driving force of this movie of the story. If Wesley's not here, and if he's not persistent and persevering, and chivalrous and courageous, there is no story if he gives up at any point or thinks you know uh physics just too big i can't fight him or this guy is probably really smart you know i'm not gonna outsmart him or we're gonna go into the fire swamp where no one's ever survived you know we and then it's like no i'm gonna survive i'm gonna make it through i'm going to get to buttercup and we're gonna have a life together and he has some of my favorite quotes in the entire movie besides i mean there are some uh, humorous ones of course but in terms of just you know really like seeing his philosophy on life and seeing how he sees things and what is motivating him and what is driving him it's amazing and of course as i said i'm going to be getting into that a lot more later but he is the one that is per he is steadfast he is consistent he is 
faithful in who he is and holding his convictions. You have uh, then you have Buttercup uh, is she is great. You know, Robin Wright, uh, she's this was her first kind of big break debut. And she's the only character that really doesn't have any humorous lines in the movie. She's the one that's kind of very straight laced and just kind of serious. And, you know, she does play this kind of uh, depressed and sad um, princess that's in technically she is held captive by Prince Humperdinck because the law says I get to marry whoever I want. You're beautiful. I want you to be my wife. And then the whole time he's planning on killing her to start a war with Gilder, which is crazy. Their, um, Their enemy, for those of you that don't know, Gilder is the sworn enemy of Florin and Florin is where this takes place. <clears throat> so, but yeah, she's, she's, uh, once she sees that, you know, she's, she knows that Wesley is alive. She, she wants to be with him. She desires to be with him. And it's really cool to see how, um, she's willing to, to make sacrifices to, after the fire swamp to, to make sure that Wesley is safe and he doesn't die after they're surrounded and he's death is threatened on him again. So it's really cool to see her in that way. Next, we have some three, a motley crew. We've got Vicini, um, inconceivable. And one of the things that really marks him is the word inconceivable and his, his hubris and his arrogance and his pride to he, in the first, in his 15 minutes of screen time, he says that line, he says inconceivable, probably at least 10 times. Maybe I may be exaggerating a little bit, but he says it a lot. And that's really funny to see, to think about it that way, because he, he thinks he's the smartest guy in the room, you know, in the battle of wits, he says, you ever hear of Plato, Aristotle? And he's like, yeah, he said morons, you know, he's, he thinks he's so smart and his hubris is that there's no way that anyone is smarter than me or can outthink me. And that's why everything continues to be inconceivable, which is really funny. Uh, next we have Inigo Montoya. Uh, hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Yeah, Inigo is great. He's hilarious. And he's, you know, Fezzik and Inigo aren't, cons- they're kind of shown as like, they're not shown to have a lot of brains, but they have a lot of heart and they have a deep affection for one another and a loyalty towards each other. And Inigo is just, you know, he's, he loves his father and he wants to find justice for his killer. But he says, you know, he's like, I'm, I'm having trouble finding him. It's been 20 years. I'm starting to lose confidence. And I've, I've been studying and trying to make sure that the next time I fight this guy, that I'm going to be able to beat him. And, but he also is, you know, you can see right off the bat as we get into this, you know, after Buttercup is kidnapped by them, you see immediately Inigo and Fezzik's warmth and their their funness and you're as the audience is warm to them as they're having this fun discussion between each other and then you're just like oh Vicini's just this annoying jerk small guy that's bossing them around because he's smarter quote unquote than them and Fezzik Andre the Giant oh man uh, he is fantastic just his line deliveries uh they're great as uh, Andre the Giant was preparing for this movie because they put his 
accent was so hard to understand that they recorded their his lines for him on a tape recorder. And so the way that he learned his lines was by putting in headphones, listening to this tape recorder and repeating his lines over and over and over again, trying to work on his English so they didn't have to put subtitles in for it, which is hilarious. Uh, but he's, he's great. I mean, he's a giant teddy bear of a guy, and he's fantastic. Next, we have Prince Humperdinck, who is this in the book he's is much more of this warrior fighter you kind of see that as uh he's he's tracking them uh he's tracking uh buttercup and he's tracking uh buttercup and wesley and she's even threatening he's like you know he can track a, a falcon on a cloudy day he can find you and he's really they don't emphasize this as much in the movie but he is really this kind of this he just craves you know a battle and war and a fight and that's why he's wanting to to set up a war with gilder is to because he wants to experience that and he's prideful arrogant and but also he's manipulating behind the scenes to get what he wants and that way he's a coward and we also see that with with count rugen you know these these, these guys these guys are the villains humperdinck and rugen are the villains and rugen is just this masochist that just is trying to put this seminal work on the study of pain and he obviously he's the six-fingered man he hires you know inigo's father to make him a sword that's for for someone with actually with six fingers uh, because you know the weight's different you know in the book they go into all these details of how it would be more difficult to make a sword for a six fingered man than for someone with just five fingers. And then he doesn't honor his agreement, and because it's, it's not what he thought it was and he kills him and is malicious. And then Inigo challenges him as like a 10 year old and he gets beaten badly and he's just a, a vicious, he's a villain, you know, he's a villain. I don't have any way that he's a villain. And he, this guy's not a good dude. Um, Next, we have Miracle Max and Valerie. Billy Crystal and I think it is Carol Kane. Oh, I'm getting, I'm getting that wrong. I can't believe. I'm pretty sure her name's Carol Kane. She was recently in Hunters on Amazon Prime. Oh, where is it? I think it's Carol Kane. I could be wrong. I'll, yeah, Carol Kane. Okay. Whew. All right. Carol Kane. Yes. So, and Billy Crystal, I think he came in for a few days. You know, he wasn't there. He's only got the one scene. And one of the funny things is just like, he's hilarious. He's grouchy old man. That's hilarious. And, you know, if you look at the, the photos of the cast, like, now and today and in the movie, you know, he's the only one that he and Carol are the ones that look younger than their characters because of all the prosthetics and makeup and all of that stuff but it's it's super funny and so one of the things that uh is behind the scenes kind of of that scene is that uh mandy patinkin who plays inigo bruised his ribs in trying to keep himself from laughing uh, during the the scene takes because you know he he didn't want to ruin the takes with with laughing because of, and he and by in trying to hold in his laughter, he actually bruised his ribs, which is you know just 
from what we even get in the movie, just all of the scenes and all of the things that he he would just improvise, you know, different stuff from the time is like each scene, each take was completely different. And he's hilarious. Uh, then also we have the albino who has a few lines and he's just kind of has a wheezy voice, doesn't play as much uh, and isn't as memorable as the impressive clergyman that has this ridiculous voice that we're going to get into uh, with scenes and quotes later. All right, getting into scenes and quotes. This is going to be a challenge for me because, as I said, you know, I I grew up watching this movie, and there's just so many funny things uh, that are are really great about this movie and the writing. So, since Brad is not here, as has been established by me being the only person talking so far, is I'm just going to go through the movie in chronological order and talk about certain scenes and the quotes of those scenes that I really, really like. So the first scene really kind of picks up when they're on the boat and they're kidnapping the princess and they're about to set sail and uh, Vecini's fussing at them and Inigo and Fezzik and Inigo begins, that Vecini, he can fuss. And Fezzik says, Fuss, fuss. I think you like to scream, maras. And Inigo says, probably he means no harm. Fezzik is really, really short on charm. And Inigo says, you have a great gift for rhyme. And Fezzik says, yes, yes, some of the time. And Vecini says, enough of that. And Inigo says, Fezzik, are the rocks ahead? And he goes, if they are, we'll all be dead. He says, no more rhymes now. I mean it. Anybody want a peanut? (laughs) This is so clever and funny. And Vecini is exasperated at this. And this is where you really begin to be warm uh, towards Inigo and and Fezzik. And you see Vecini as just this this grimy kind of guy that he is. And um, even then, later on, as it's sailed there at night and uh, he Inigo's like keeps looking back behind us and he says, are you sure nobody's followed us? And Vicini says, as I told you, it would be absolutely, totally, and in all other ways, inconceivable. No one in Gilder knows what we've done and no one in Florin could have gotten here so fast. And then he's kind of sitting back and he says, out of curiosity, why do you ask? He says, no reason. It's only I just happened to look behind us and something is there. <laughs> and he says, what? Oh, probably some fishermen out for a pleasure night cruise in <laughs> night at night in eel-infested waters. And then Buttercup, she jumps in to uh, the, the eel-infested waters. And the eels, man, those things scared me when I was a kid. That really, really scared me. And... Vecini's uh, goes jump in after her, and Inigo goes I don't swim, and he looks at Fezzik and he goes only dog paddle. <laughs> That's just so great, and and he's like turn it around left, go left, the other left, um, and uh, then they save her, and there's this funny and uh, dialogue, but it's just kind of you know the humor here just continues to be spot on, 
And then the next day, Inigo, they, it's in the morning after they've pulled Buttercup out of the water. And he, Inigo goes, he's right on top of us. I wonder if he's using the same wind we are using. <laughs> it's just, oh man, it's fantastic. So many great lines. And just kind of establishing uh, um, those characters and their personalities and just the humor is just like, yeah, he's he has these questions and it's just like, you know what? I wonder if he is using the same one we are using. Uh, then we get to the, the cliffs of insanity and that crazy, crazy climb and all of that where Fezzik is carrying... Uh, three people and then you know the man in black starts climbing the rope after them and once again you get a inconceivable and then he cuts the rope and he once again says he didn't fall inconceivable and then you get Inigo saying you keep using that word I do not think it means what you think it means and it's just you know the the characters and the the interactions that they have with one another are so fantastic and how he's you know Vicini is like he's in charge but this the swordsman and the giant could easily take care of him and why are they doing this because you know they need to get paid they're getting a job but also there's this back and forth that they throw at one another and early on when they especially when Inigo and Fezzik are saying like hey I don't think we should be killing an innocent girl like that and there's like yeah, I agree. And they're kind of aligned against Vassini. It says, you know, um, well, I'm in charge and you're drunk and you're stupid or you are unemployed in Greenland. So we're going to do what I'm going to say. But this is just shows that, you know, they they have their own morals and they are their own personalities and they're not just going to follow marching orders. You know, they were hired to do a job, but they also remain to have their personalities that go against the, the cruelness and the, the griminess of Vassini. Then we have the greatest sword fight, the greatest sword fight. And we begin with that great interaction between uh, Inigo and the man in black saying like, hey, you know, uh, could you like hurry it up? I hate waiting. And he's like, no, um, this is kind of hard. I'm just going to sit here. I don't trust you. If you're if you're just waiting up there to kill me, like, why would I trust you? And uh, but then he finally gets up there and um, they have at least enough trust for Inigo to lower rope for the man in black for Wesley to to climb up it and to get him to the top. And then as soon as he sits down, he, Inigo says, I do not mean to pry, but uh, by any chance, do you have happen to have six fingers on your right hand? And he says, do you always begin conversations this way? <laughs> and then he talks about his father being killed and you know, and then he showed he even hands his sword for a moment to uh, the man in black, who at that point, if he if he were a villain, if he were truly a bad guy, if he didn't have any honor, he could have just run him through right there. It's like, you know, you're unarmed I, and he could have killed him and, and gone on his way. But the honor and the chivalry and the respect of handing the sword back to him and, you know, we're going to we're going to do this as civilized people. Uh, as as Fezzik, as he later says to Fezzik, um, when when he after he defeats Inigo, um, 
and then as he's he's talking to him, he says, "You know, you've done nothing but study swordplay for the past twenty years." He said, "More pursue than study lately." You see, I cannot find him. It's been twenty years now, and I'm starting to lose confidence. I just work for Ficini to pay the bills. There's not a lot of money in revenge. And then Man of Black says, "Well, I certainly hope you find him someday. You are ready then, whether I am or not. You've been more than fair. You seem a decent fellow. I hate to kill you. Uh, you seem a decent fellow." I hate to die. Begin. And then we get this amazing, amazing sword plays like I am not left-handed. And you know, the times that I grew, I would, would be doing sword fights, and I would say, like, I'm not left-handed. And then I'd switch swords and I'd go on the offensive with my siblings and doing those sword fights. Ah, oh, it was just so many iconic things. And I never got to quite doing the um swinging the backflip throwing the sword part but you know it's still an amazing scene an amazing paddle and after he does the flip you get the super funny line from inigo he's just kind of in awe of him of how amazing the man in black is and he goes who are you and he says known of consequence and he says i must know he says get used to disappointment and he says okay <laughs> <laughs> just okay like no need to be rude about it like who are you come on like i've been studying for 20 years and you still defeat you're beating me you're you're marvelous you're wonderful and he's just like oh okay <laughs> and you know uh the man in black wesley wins and he goes on to fight fezzik you know the next scene the battle with the giant and some of their dialogue is super funny. And he's just, you know, he says, you know, I didn't have to miss when he throws a rocket. At his head. He's like, oh, I believe you. <laughs> and he says, you know, um, no tricks, no weapons. We fight each other as God intended. He says, so you put down your rock and I'll put down my sword. And we try to kill each other like civilized people. <laughs> he says, and he's like, I could kill you now. And he's like, no, I think you have a little bit of an advantage though. And, um, then you get the, as he's like throwing punches at him, Fezzik goes, why do you wear a mask? Were you burned by acid or something like that? He says, oh no, I just think they're terribly comfortable. I think everyone will be wearing them in the future, which ironically for 2020 and 2021, everybody's wearing masks. <laughs> um, and then he, he gets behind Fezzik, he puts him in a chokehold, a sleeper hold, and then he passes out and he just has this really, really kind of, fun line he says i do not envy that you the headache you will have when you awake but for now rest well and dream of large women <laughs> and it's really cool because you see in early on in those scenes that you have a suspicion is like is this wesley you know is this i can't remember the first time i actually watched this but you're like is this wesley and he's he's so he's dangerous and he's fighting these these people that are set against him to defeat him or or kill him and whenever he defeats them he doesn't kill them he shows mercy he he knocks inigo out he he knocks fezzik out and you know after they wake up you know they go go their own way and, and they find their own way to uh eventually in florin but he he has every opportunity to kill both of them but he doesn't. And then what does he do in the Battle of Wits with Vicini? He he does kill, or he does poison Vicini. And um, there's it's a really cool contrast because, you know, of course, Inigo and Fezzik aren't the villains. Uh, Vicini is the one that's behind that. And and even Humberdink is, is just like who 
who dies in this movie, you know, uh, Fazzini dies and Rugen dies, but Humberdink lives, which is really interesting for a storytelling point. But at the end of Vicini, besides his inconceivable line, is you only think I guessed wrong. That's what's so funny. I switched the glasses when your back was turned. Ha <laughs> ha, you fool. You fell victim to one of the classic blunders, the most famous of which is never get involved in a land war in Asia, but only slightly what's well known is this. Never go against a Sicilian when death is on the line. And then he starts cackling and he falls over dead. And because uh, Wesley had poisoned both goblets of wine and... Vicini was thought he was being clever and was stalling and um but he built up a, a tolerance to iocane powder to poison and it was great so another thing is and this is getting towards one of the lines that i really really like from wesley is when he's confronting her about not being faithful to him and he's talking about himself in the third person because Buttercup's like, you're the Dread Pirate Roberts, which is true to a certain degree. He was Dread Pirate Roberts, but he wasn't the iteration of the Dread Pirate Roberts that captured and plundered the sh his ship, you know? And he he's kind of commenting and uh, kind of jabbing at her because he's he's bitter like this is the woman he loves and she left him she abandoned him she didn't remain faithful to him and she says you mock my pain and he says life is pain highness anyone who says differently is selling something and i think that's really profound because there's and i'm not saying that life is always pain but in in life there is always suffering and there's always going to be discomfort and hard circumstances and situations uh, that are going to cause us grief and pain. And uh, the notion today that there's this optimal position of, of happiness that you can achieve is, is false. There is no optimum position or state of happiness that can be achieved. And he says, you know, even Wesley says, he's like, anyone who says differently is selling something. And, you know, what do we see in the advertisements today uh, is that, you know, you'll be happy if you have this, you know, you'll be satisfied if you have this, uh, which I think is just really cool in this medieval peace period that speaks to think the truths of things today. And then they fall down the hill, they roll down the hill and uh, Buttercup realizes that the man in black, the Dread Pirate Roberts, is Wesley. And he crawls over after they roll down the hill. He says, I told you I uh, would always come for you. Why didn't you just wait for me? And she says, well, you were dead. He says, death cannot stop true love. All it can do is delay it for a while. He says, I will never doubt again. And he says, there will never be a need. Which is such a sweet, like, oh, that's a beautiful beautiful um picture of of love is just you know unconditional steadfast unfailing love is that it is always going to be there and you don't have to doubt and he from that point on is like we're going to get back to the ship and we're going to spend the rest of our lives together and you don't have to doubt um my love for you and whether i'm going to be there for you anymore you don't have to doubt that 
so um then they then they're the after that uh humperdinck's chasing them and they're going into the fire swamp and she's like oh and buttercup says despairingly we'll never survive and he says wesley says nonsense that's only because no one ever has <laughs> and when they're in the fire swamp and it's super gloomy and depressing and sad and wesley just goes it's not that bad and then buttercup looks at him incredulously and he says well i'm not saying i'd like to build a summer home here but the trees are actually quite lovely <laughs> it's just this great humor that even in dire circumstances and he is this optimist you know he is moving forward and determination that you know we're going to get through this i'm going to make sure it happens and then post fire swamp you they humperdinck you know he goes around captures them and he says surrender and he's and wesley with sword drawn immediately says you mean you wish to surrender to me very well i accept <laughs> which is super super funny and like every time i rewatch this especially now that i'm older i'm like wow that is so funny and it's so cleverly done and how like that humor that quick wit is just it's enjoyable to see someone that has this quick humorous wit interact with these people and just be always he's always on his game you know there's never a point where um he doesn't present at least that he's in control of the situation and which comes really into play later where he, he is completely bluffing and <laughs> he still gets even though he has no strength at all he gets humperdinck to surrender and ties him up which is really awesome so um then after they're surrounded um you know he says prince humperdinck says you know um i swear on my word that it will be done that i'll get wesley back to his ship the revenge which is a great name for the ship and also ties into the themes um is that um he says you know as soon as she were out of sight you know take him to the pit of despair and i want to see him there and he says like on my word it will be done and then he says um count rugen like they bind him and he says i've got to get you back to your ship and then wesley says we are men of action lies do not become us and i love that line because he sees right through this he knows the kinds of people they are the they are he knows not to trust them and he doesn't believe them he knows that they're lying and he also has a standard for himself and for other people in that station is this we are men of action lies do not become us of this being in a certain role or position is like you are above that you know you are have no reason to lie uh, you can be straight with me you know you uh, and as he has consistently shown throughout the movie wesley is a man of honor and but humberdink and rugen are not and uh, so then we've got of course uh we're skipping ahead a little bit here is that you've got you know uh, the brute squad you know uh, there's quite a few scenes with uh, buttercup and humperdinck and you know i really want to marry wesley and the booing lady which that terrified me when i was a kid and he so he's in the pit of despair he's being tortured by the machine that's taking years off of his life you see the thieves forest being emptied physics on the brute squad he finds inigo 
Also, Fezzik discovered that Rugen has six, uh, six fingers on his right hand, and that's the one who killed his father. And so Inigo is drunk. Fezzik makes him not drunk, sobers him up a little bit, and they're on the search for him. And then as they're searching, and Humberdink is enraged that Buttercup and Wesley are, like love each other so much, and he says, you know, not one couple in a century has that chance. You could have been truly happy, but not, he says, I don't think so. And so earlier in the movie, Rugen says, you know, I'd maybe even go up to five on the machine. But then you get Humberdink in his rage takes 50 years of his life, uh, sucks 50 years out of his life uh, from him. And Rugen's like, no, not to 50. You don't do that. And you just get this amazing, like, yelling scream and you they pan out and you can see like the entire nation or city in florin can hear him and it's just this heart rending scream and inigo says do you hear that physic that is the sound of ultimate suffering my heart made that sound when rugen slaughtered my father the man in black makes it now physic goes the man in black his true love is marrying another tonight so who else has the cause of ultimate suffering? I didn't do that in my Inigo voice, so I apologize. But it's really interesting, like, that suffering of, you know, the connection that Inigo makes immediately to that being Wesley screaming, the man in black. And so they go to the forest. It leads them to the forest and to, to save him and rescue him. So uh, they go in. There's the scene where they find it and he's dead and he's like, you know, uh, how much money do you have? Well, all right, let's see if we can go buy a miracle. So they go to Miracle Max's and there's the uh, go away. I'll call the Brute Squad. That's like, I am the Brute Squad. You are the Brute Squad. That's <laughs> all right. Come in. And he's, he says, uh, Miracle Max, you got any money? 65. Ooh, I've never worked for so little except once. And that was a very noble cause. This is noble, sir. His wife is crippled. His children are on the brink of starvation. He goes, are you a rotten liar? I says, I need him to avert, help avenge my father murdered these 20 years. And then he goes, your first story was better. <laughs> this is so funny. And then uh, they get the point where it's just like, you know, true love he's like you know wesley moans out he's like we'll we'll figure out what's he's gone and he pumps his air full of lungs and he's like the mostly dead mostly dead and all dead you know mostly dead is is barely alive um if he's all dead just go through his pockets and look for loose change and then uh as he's talking about you know he wheezes out true love he's like true love he's like what could be more noble than it and sunny true love is the greatest thing in the world Except a nice MLT mutton lettuce and tomato sandwich where the mutton is nice and lead and tomatoes are right. Ah, they're so parky. I love that. Well, that's not what he said. <laughs> it's just this a mutton lettuce and tomato sandwich. It's so ridiculous. And Valerie comes in and they're having the conversation in the fight. And he's, you know, this Indigo kind of makes the connections like, hey, if we, if you help us, this is buttercup's true love and she'll humiliate humperdink and he's like all right give me the 65 i'll do it and then as they leave and it's like um they're giving the instructions which are super funny it's like don't go swim for an hour yeah a good hour afterwards um and then 
have bye bye boys have fun storming the castle and then valerie says think it'll work and it goes it would take a miracle bye bye <laughs> so many great uh quotes but this next scene coming up oh my goodness i've still got so much to do um it's so little time okay uh this next scene is uh they're on the wall and uh they're they give wesley the miracle bullet. he says who are you are we enemies why am i on this wall where's buttercup and then he goes let me explain he says no there's too much let me sum up buttercup is mary hopper like a little less than half an hour so we all have to do is get in break up the wedding steal the princess make our escape after i kill count good and he goes that doesn't leave much time for delay darling he says you just wiggled your finger that's wonderful and he goes i've always been a quick healer what are our liabilities there's but one working castle gate, and it is guarded by 60 men. And our assets? Your brains, physics, strength, my steel. And it's like, impossible. If I had a month, maybe. <laughs> if only we had a wheelbarrow, that would be something. Why did we put that wheelbarrow the albino had? Over the albino, I think. Or why didn't you list that among our assets in the first place? Oh, what I wouldn't give for a holocaust cloak. There we cannot help you. Will this do? Pulls out a cloak. And Nicole goes, where did you get that? A miracle Maxis. It's so nice. He said I could keep it. And then they move on. It's just, uh, um, uh, it's just like, and there's also the part now where it's just like, you just shook your head. That doesn't make you happy. <laughs> oh, there's so many good things in this. And then, of course, uh, the most ridiculous accent of, Marids, the impressive clergyman. Marids is what brings us together today. Marids, that blessed arrangement, that dream within a dream. And wow, true love will follow you forever. So treasure your love. And then Humberdink, skip to the end. Have you the wing? <laughs> and then at the end, you get the really amazing scene uh, of Inigo's revenge. Um, and he, he, Rugen is a scumbag, you know, Inigo quickly dispatches with the guards around him. And then he runs away. He's a coward. He's not a hero. He's a villain. He's running away. He's trying to save his own skin. And Inigo is just, you know, 20 years he's been waiting for this moment and he's so close. And uh, finally, and so I'm not going to say the full quote at the end because we are a clean podcast. We have young listeners. I'm not going to say it. So, um, but over, over that part, it was just like he gets stabbed in the stomach. He gets stabbed in both shoulders, and then he find he finds the will. He finds the will to to fight back to avenge his father's death, and then he's he just keeps repeating, "My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepared to die. My name is Inigo Montoya." You and each time he says it, he's getting stronger and stronger and stronger, and then finally he's he's taking he's like cutting rugen to pieces and he's like offer me money and then he cuts his cheek as he like he did to inigo when he was a boy he says yes power tool promise me that he says all that i have and more please offer me anything i ask for he says anything you want and then he tries to attack him and he blocks it and traps his arm and stabs him in this father and he says i want my father back and it's such like i get honestly get emotional just because the love that he has for his father and still that brokenness that he is carrying around with him. And it's, 
it's really sad in, in a way in that even though he does get revenge is like the thing is that the revenge does not satisfy him. It's, it may feel him, you know, this, whatever sense of justice and revenge and making himself feel better. Uh, but that that's not what is really going to satisfy him. And so finally at the end, you know, we get a full circle moment of uh, the grandson saying, grandpa, maybe you could come over again and read it again to me tomorrow. And the grandpa responds as you wish. And that's such a, and that's the last line in the movie. And it's so beautiful because the way he begins that with the story begins with buttercup, like and Wesley is that she like loved terrorizing him and telling him what to do and bossing him around. And whenever she would tell him what to do, he would say, as you wish. And then she realizes that when he's saying, as you wish, he says, I love you. And so when he says, Hey grandpa, maybe you could come over and read it again to me tomorrow. And the grandpa says, as you wish. All right, guys, thank you all for sticking me for this long. And as I relive my childhood memories through all of those scenes and quotes, right now we're going to get into the questions and the overall reflections and final grade wrapping up real quick. Who has the best performance in this movie? For me, it's it's really difficult to say. I would say maybe Mandy Patinkin as Inigo uh, or Gary Elwes as Wesley. You know, he really is. He was made to play that part. And so one of those two, but it's so difficult because everything was so well done. Second question, is the book or movie better? So I've read the book and the movie. I've also read uh, Carrie Elwes kind of memoir of, of filming uh, this movie and the behind the scenes, all the stuff that was going on. And he actually broke his toe and some other cool things. And he, it's called As You Wish. So, but the book that was written by William Goldman, that which the movie is based on, I'd have to say is better. There were very few if any situations where I can honestly say the movie's better than the book, uh, the book is better. So if you haven't read it and you're a fan of the movie, the book as um, impossible as it seems to be is like, you just get so much more of the story and there's a lot of good humor in there. It's the same kind of humor. And there was supposed to be a sequel, but he just could never figure out the story. It was supposed to be called Buttercup's Baby. And he had a few chapters and, and sections of it, but it was just really weird and strange and not very satisfying. But it was uh, the, the, the book is was great and it's fantastic. And if you haven't read it, I would highly encourage you to do so. Uh, so overall reflections, final grade. I love this movie in case you can't tell already. I grew up watching this movie. There's so much of my sense of humor that I can trace back to this movie. It, I give it an A plus. It's, it's fantastic. Um, I would just wish that uh, Brad could have been on here to, to record this episode with me, but uh, thank you all for, again, for sticking with me and we'll uh, get Brad off of paternity leave at some point in the near future and get back to our run on the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Or I'll have some guests uh, some guests uh, come on and help me talk through uh, whatever books, movies, 
uh, TV shows uh, that they want to talk about. All right, everybody, that's going to do it for another episode of the Brad Report. We hope that you dug what you heard. We hope that you will like, subscribe, give us a five-star rating, follow us on social media. And until next time, love you 3000.